the criteria Latifi needs to do to get re-signed. Not get last. <laughs> oh, Spa's back. And lights out and away we go. <laughs> and Lewis Hamilton is halfway to space. <laughs> Personally yeah. go IndyCar over Williams. Yeah, space. <laughs> Grosjean Zoo. Guan Yu Zhou. Guan Yu Zhou. No, Zhou Guan Yu. I said that the first time. George was already sitting in that seat. Look, I don't agree with it, but you've asked a question. I'm trying to find a way to justify it. I'm just trying to absolutely tear your answer apart. G'day, and welcome to Formula Bums. My name is Jacko, and with me is me. Andy's not here. Couldn't find a guest, so I've decided to do this show solo for the first time in history. It's been a long-running joke between Andy and I that eventually one day one of us was going to have to do this completely by themselves. That day is today. The reason it's taking so long to come out is this is actually my second attempt at recording this episode. I am not the most tech-savvy guy. Everyone knows Andy does all the computer stuff and he just sits me in a room and lets me speak. Turns out, if you bump enough dials with your foot, you'll completely butcher your audio recording. The original episode that I recorded was only me peeking into the mic when I was laughing at my own jokes or when I dropped the microphone at one point. It was about 30 minutes of silence, about 45 seconds of laughing and one very loud bang. So I think we're going to make an ASMR episode about it. However... I'm going to review the Miami Grand Prix. It happened as it does every year. I say that. It's only ever happened once, but it happened again. Last year, Miami was a little bit of a laughing stock just because of how American it was. This year, much the same. Before we get into all the drivers and what actually occurred in the event that we care about, there's a few little highlights I want to bring up that happened throughout the weekend. I think it was this time last year, Andy, jump in if I'm wrong, where Martin Brundle got into an incident on the grid walk. That happened again this year, except with a legend of the sport, Sir Jackie Stewart, who attempted to enter part of the grid and was blocked by a security guard, only to be rescued by George Russell, who had to come in and point out to the security guard that this short Scottish man in a kilt is actually a multiple world champion and really should be allowed to go into the area that he's allowed going allowed to go into. I did have a couple of activities planned to run Andy through while we were recording together this week, but because we didn't get to, the only other bit I want to bring up is the cost of food. I have in front of me, part of the menu that was available at the Miami Grand Prix. Now, I don't know exactly if this was general fare that you would buy as part of the grandstands or if this was part of, I guess, a fancier, more premium ticket that you would buy. However, the cost of a watermelon and tomato salad was $300 US dollars. $300 is expensive in any nation's currency. However, the US being one of the strongest economies on the planet means that in Australian dollars, this was about a $450 salad. So I don't know if that's common at the Miami Grand Prix, if that's what everyone had to pay. I'm assuming there were, had to be hot dogs or had to be chips available for, I don't know, like 70 or 80 bucks. 
accordingly. However, it was just a highlight that popped up to me online somewhere. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, it's already an expensive sport and they are wringing every single cent out of the fans to attend this weekend. Whatever you think of that is your own choice. It was a little bit shocking to me. However, in order to kind of make this show worth listening to, I'm not just going to ramble on. I've finally sat down and written a bunch of notes to step through. I'm going to break down free practice one, free practice two, free practice three, even though nothing really happened, quali, and then I'll get into the race a little bit. Then I want to wrap up how the teams went, sort of the standard thing that Andy and I normally do together. And then I'll try to remember what race is coming next. So, thank you for joining me and my couple of beers. I hope this is a good episode. Free practice one, Hulkenberg crashed. It caused a red flag. The session had to stop for a little while. It wasn't a massive crash. The car wasn't completely destroyed, as I would say that Mick Schumacher was normally doing at this point last year. However, it caused a significant amount of damage, and it did end his session right there. Free practice one, very similar to a lot of the free practices we see at most at most Grand Prix. Lots of near misses, lots of cars running wide, an absolute buttload of lockups across the track. However, I want to bring this up because I'm not normally right about this sport. Andy, I told you that the Red Bull was probably just going to paint a pink line on the side of the car and call it a special livery. Vindication. They painted a pink line. Yes, they also painted other color lines. There was like a light blue and maybe a yellow. But I said pink line. They painted a pink line. That means I'm correct. And that means I'm more knowledgeable about Formula One now, Andy. Suck it. Then we had free practice two. Free practice two. Charles crashed. Lol. Red flag. It has been another one of those years for Ferrari, and I think this weekend sums them up very, very well for how they're performing across the board. Charles, red flag the session. Everybody had to take a little bit of a break. Directly after that, as soon as cars were back on track, K-Mag did a full pirouette and just, just tapped the rear of his horse against the wall. So I'm sure the guys at the so I'm sure the mechanics were very, very happy to see it was only minor cosmetic damage. I would describe it as a chef's kiss crash. It looked fantastic on camera. He spun wildly out of control and just tapped the wall. So no harm, no foul there. However, very nervous weekend for Haas, considering this is one of their three home races, which I think was brought up on the broadcast every single time there was a Haas on screen going, oh, what's the home race? Well, one of three. Yeah, look, we get it. F1 is trying to break into the American market. The only way you can do that is by giving them races. And also, maybe a little bit of a geography lesson here. America is a massive, massive country. Europe is a very small country continent. So while there are three American races, the, the vast majority of races are held somewhere in Europe, 
And the perks of being in Europe, except for England, is that you can free travel between most of the nations where we race and you can go and see a few races. These races in America have massive distances between them. You do need three races to get a country. You do need three races to get an entire country excited about your sport. They're one of the richest nations on the planet. It is where the future growth of this sport lies, especially since the venture into China recently due to COVID hasn't been the most successful. We had to cancel China the last couple of years. And again, this year, when the sport is seemingly back to normal as it was in the pre-COVID times. So if you're a little bit annoyed about the whole Americanization of the sport, it is a necessary evil for growth of this sport. Netflix, being an American company, has brought a massive amount of global fans to the sport. It helped me re-fall in love with motorsport. Not that I watch the show anymore, because now that I just watch the sport, it's far better than watching the dramatized version on the internet. However, a vast majority of those fans are from the US. They have earned the right to have a couple more races than other parts of the world. That's my little sookie bit done for the show. I'm sure I'll have more later. Max had an interesting free practice too. Something was occurring in his car that I didn't really know was possible to happen. His headrest wasn't seated properly. It's this little, I guess, I wouldn't call it plastic, but it's certainly not plastic. It's probably a multi-thousand dollar piece of carbon fiber which wraps around the back of his neck, which I believe the hands device or the Haas device or the... It's something beginning with H device. Andy will probably put a record scratch in, call me an idiot and tell me what it is. It's where that connects. It wasn't seated properly and it kept bothering him throughout the practice session. So much so. And it doesn't take much to make Max swear on the radio, but he did swear at his team and pretty much told them to get the fucking headrest right. He has a job to do. Ocon managed to block Alonso, which led to the very popular radio chatter we saw of Alonso saying, no, no, let the boys fight in free practice. This is the only moment they get. I'm a massive Alonso fan, and so is Andy, and I assume most of our listeners enjoy Alonso too. We're also not very big Ocon fans. So for me, I thought this was brilliant. In my notes, I've just written, Ocon blocks Alonso. Classic. In regards to parts changing, it was announced in FP2 that a couple of the teams had mixed up some of the parts they were using on their car. I'm not talking about upgrades. I'm talking about the allotted amount of parts each team is allowed to put in their car. You're only allowed a certain amount of engines, a certain amount of control electronics, batteries, all the really big expensive internal components of the engine. You are limited to to a certain amount, and I couldn't, I can't just say two or three, because depending on the part, you get a different amount for the year. If you go over this amount, you will then receive a grid place penalty at a Grand Prix later on in the year. That leads to very interesting strategy decisions about when to take your penalties. When do you change this critical part of the engine to give you a performance boost that will suit your car and chassis the best? to bring out the performance in that race to counteract the effect of the penalty you take. The Mercedes of both George Russell and Lewis Hamilton 
and Charles Leclerc took a new energy store. I'm not very technical-minded. I haven't looked up what it is, but I'm going to have a pretty good guess. And my guess is that that is where the electrical energy produced by the wheels and the braking system and, like, the, I think, heat off the engine is also used. That's where that's stored to then be deployed as DRS. It feels pretty right for me to say that. I hope you agree with me. Again, Andy, do you think? Is that what it is? I don't fucking know, but it feels good. The important part about that change is you are only allowed two energy stores for the entire year. Meaning that if Mercedes, either one of them, is to take a new energy store or Charles Leclerc to take a new energy store, and let's be real, Charles is probably going to have to take another seven, you will suffer a grid place penalty at a corresponding GP later in the year. The fastest cars from FP2 was Verstappen, Sainz, Leclerc, Perez and Alonso. So I want to say usual suspects. And I don't know if I mentioned, mentioned the FP1 guys. But that was Russell, Hamilton, Leclerc, Verstappen and Sainz. Again, better for the Mercedes, but that's the usual suspects we expect to see at the top of the grid in a practice session. Those are the guys who normally have their cars on lock. Repeat offenders, right? FP3, not much happened. However, the top five was a very interesting mix of drivers. So my highlights from FP3... Perez nearly took out Oscar Piastri in the pits. It was a very unsafe release. He kind of just got squirted out right past the nose of Oscar, which led to an interesting, I think he nearly took me out on the radio discussion. There were lots of near misses at the chicane due to high wind. It's something that kept coming up over the course of this practice session. A car would go out there, they'd hit a little bit of understeer or oversteer, get squirrely, go wide, have to... I guess, lose that lap, but it's FP3. You know, the lap time isn't as important as it is in qualifying or the race, obviously. However, there was a particularly gusty day and it did throw a lot of the drivers out of order for this session. Where it gets really interesting is with the drivers near the top. So you had Verstappen, obviously, Leclerc, Perez, Sainz, normal running. But then Ocon and Gasly were in fifth and sixth. And they had been okay all weekend. But to be honest, it has been a rotten year for that Alpine team. They had their Australia double crash out DNF. They've made mistakes all across the board. And they've had horror weekends. They haven't really shown us what they were capable of at all. FP3 suddenly made me go, well, hold on. There might actually be something in this French outfit this year. They might not just be a punching bag. So, exciting for the French team, exciting for fans of Gasly, as we are on this show. Disappointing as fans of Ocon that he managed to beat him. However, he has been in the team longer. He is technically, by experience, the number one driver. Take it or leave it, I guess. But they were up there. It was good signs. It's what we wanted to see from this team at the start of the year. Car's still ugly, but so there's nothing you can really do there. Qualifying. I'm going to break this down into Q1, Q2, Q3. 
It was a decent qualifying all round, though, this week. Miami is a good track for doing hot laps on. It, it's quite technical. It is very, very quick across the board. There's lots of opportunities to make mistakes, which we will get to because a couple of people made some mistakes in this qualifying. All in all, decent qualifying. Definitely set the tone for what could have been or what was a pretty exciting and interesting race at Miami. So, in qualifying one, Hamilton clipped the wall, and I think, and I've only watched one on board of this, I think he almost or just rear-ended one of the Haas cars. It was a really strange onboard to watch of Lewis coming down a straight towards one of the corners. I think it was the left-hander. The Haas is sitting in the middle of the road, cruising. Lewis isn't going super quick, slams the brakes on, moves to the right-hand side of the track, taps his wing on the wall, very nearly, or does, connect with the rear end of the Haas and gets on the radio to his team. Oh, I've made a mistake. Check the wing. Really out of character to see Lewis Hamilton make a mistake at all, let alone in qualifying where that's he's so dominant in that car traditionally. I know the last two years haven't been good, but that skill is still there. So it's rare to see a mistake from a man of that caliber under race-like conditions. Joe, again, another interesting incident, was pushed really, really wide by a Ferrari, and he nearly collected the wall. I don't know if it was in the same spot. Watching the onboards, it definitely seemed like it was in the same part of the corner. The Ferrari was in the middle of the track, and as Joe's come up to get track position on the right-hand side, the Ferrari has moved right slightly, causing a little bit of a... Zhu having to brake and swerve, nearly hitting the wall. The Ferrari coming on the radio being like, what was he doing? Zhou coming on the radio. And for the first time ever, I think, dropping a couple of F-bombs. So America's rubbing off, off, off on that young man. The Alpha Tauri nearly cleaned up <laughs> one of the horses in the pit lane. It was a very close moment. Again, it was another one of those very quick releases with not a lot of room to go. This weekend would have been terrifying to be Gunter Steiner. You had a crash in the first practice, and in every other session since then, you either had a near miss by a driver going off or someone nearly taking out one of your drivers. Q1 was Lewis nearly taking out, I think it was K-Mag. And in, the, in this one, one of the Alphas nearly cleaned up Nico in the pit lane. The drivers eliminated for Q1 was Norris, Snowder, Stroll, Piastri and Sargent. So the only American on the grid was beginning one of his home races last. Maybe that had a bit to do with the car. It's also, I think, it's not the first time he's raced here. I believe he raced there in F2 last year, if F2 was there. I think they were there last year, but we'll see. Uh, Piastri and Norris, again, it's just the McLaren. The McLaren itself really is struggling this year. They can't seem to get anything set up and working. And, you know, I guess they did pick the wrong design philosophy at the beginning. And that has caused flow-on effects into this year's car. But I thought that, you know, maybe this race, they might be able to pull something a little bit together. Both drivers out in Q1. I was a little bit disappointed. I don't like Lando Norris. I really like Piastri. And I do like the McLaren team. I think it's a good-looking car. I want them to do well. They have such a history in this sport. Uh, 
didn't quite work together for them this weekend at all. Sonoda, I guess he's a very up and down. I've always said he's a bit of an inconsistent driver. I know there's a bit of hype building around that man this year, and I do kind of want him to do well. However, didn't manage to put the car where it needed to be. And Stroll was also out in Q1, which is weird when you compare to how Alonso did. Now, Alonso ended up starting very close to the front of the grid. He was either front uh, first row or second row, so that's from position one to four. Stroll started in position 18th. Yes, 18th, if I'm counting correctly. If I'm not counting correctly, Brad, message me on Instagram and bag me out for my maths again, but I think he started 18th. The point I want to make here is that one of the biggest arguments that occurs in F1 is, is it the car or is it the driver? And I think on the show I've always said, I think it's a combination of both. Having the best car does increase your chances exponentially of going up high in the race. But if you can't drive a car of that caliber to its limit, and someone can drive a slightly worse car above the limit, you're going to lose out to the more talented person. I think this weekend, we got to see that with Lance Stroll a little bit. Miami is a particularly difficult track to drive on. If you make a mistake in some of the corners, very similar to Monaco. In fact, I do believe they're trying to call the Miami GP the Monaco of America. Get real water, first of all. That will be a big help in the right direction. But it's a very unforgiving track. Yes, there are certain runoff areas, but it's not the same as a custom-built race circuit where you can pretty much take advantage of every corner and get away with it fine. Stroll, I think, was a little bit nervous this weekend. Even in the free practices, he didn't pop up into the top five like Alonso did on more than one occasion. So he was off the pace from the beginning. I don't think this is indicative of him of the rest of the season. I think it may be indicative of Stroll's performance on some very technical tracks we have coming up. I may be completely wrong. It might have just been an off weekend for the kid and he'll be back to his normal self that we've seen all year. Or the main reason I want to say this is If the season goes downhill, I set it on the show, which means I get the glory for it. So I'm not backing it 100%, but Stroll, very weak weak weekend for him all round. My notes for Q2 are a lot shorter than my notes for Q1. DeVries, Joe, Hamilton and Hulkenberg and Albon were all eliminated. Four of those drivers are the ones you'd expect. Yep, they normally go out Q1, Q2. They're the lower end, back end of the grid and the lower end of the midfield. Lewis Hamilton was very surprising to see struggling and qualifying. Yep, Q1, he nearly took out a car, but he managed to put a lap together that moved him up the grid. They weren't shocking completely in free practice. I mean, they weren't regular appearers in the top, and George clearly had the better of Lewis in the majority of the sessions this weekend. I think it's pretty safe to say he's had the better of Lewis for a large part of last year, and definitely the beginning of this year. Seems to be far more confident in that Mercedes, and I believe it's because that's the only style of Mercedes he's ever driven. Yeah, I know he had that one-shot race, 
in Bahrain in the really good Mercedes. But we all know how that ended. It was either sabotage or just a really, really unlucky lot of mistakes. So Lewis started in 13th position. In the past, when Lewis has started low on the grid, either from the rare mistakes he makes or from engine penalties, etc., he normally goes on to storm through the grid. Now, we'll get to that in the race a little bit later, but that's some foreshadowing. This, in my mind, was like, hey, maybe Lewis is about to go beast mode tomorrow and absolutely storm through the grid. Qualifying three, or Q3, very, very exciting. Possibly the best Q3 of the year so far. So Max Verstappen went out first, was putting together an absolutely brilliant lap. However, went wide at one corner and had a snap of understeer at another corner causing him to abandon the lap. Normally, going out first in Q3 and having to abandon the lap is not a big deal. I mean, you may have to waste a set of tyres and it could affect your race strategy. However, there's always an opportunity to do a second lap until Charles crashed, causing a red flag in the qualifying session. My note for this says, Charles crashed again. Lol. Shocking weekend for Charles. However, brilliant for his qualifying situation. Charles had managed to put in a lap a little bit earlier in the session. Max hadn't gone out to put in a second lap yet. He was in the grid, or I believe he was on his out lap, warming up, waiting for the track evolve to put in an absolute barnstorming run and take pole position. He was building and building and building over the weekend, and his car and that Red Bull system was clearly the best. Charles came on the radio after his crash and apologized. He didn't sound as devastated as he normally does. The only thing I want to read from that is, I think whatever he's been doing for his mental strength, practicing that ability to not be super emotionally involved in everything that goes on is paying off. Yes, he sounded disappointed, but it wasn't the traditional Charles of the banging, the yelling, the swearing. He just kind of said, guys, I'm really sorry. My bad. Hopped out of the car had a little bit of a moment of just like, oh, I fucked that real bad. And then it was on for the rest of qualifying. And by that, I mean, they didn't resume it. It was over. And the top 10 drivers look like this. Pole position was Sergio Perez. Second was Fernando Alonso. Sainz was in third. Magnussen was in fifth. He managed to put together a really good lap earlier in Q3, and he managed to secure that position, yes, with help from Charles, but fantastic result from Haas, considering it had been a really, really nervous weekend up until this point. Then followed Gasly, Russell, Leclerc, Ocon, Verstappen, and Bottas. I don't even think Bottas had gone out at all. I don't even think they were going to run him. I think he kind of just inherited 10th position and went, you know what? That'll do me, boys. So, fantastic qualifying. If you haven't watched the highlights, do it. Or, my recommendation is go back and watch the whole thing. It's fantastic. Having different commentators do the qualifying has been unreal. I believe they're getting Alex Jakes, who's the F2 commentator, to step up and fill in in some of the sessions around... F1. I believe they're getting Alex Jake step up and fill in some of the sessions around F1 
I think he's an absolutely brilliant commentator. He also commentates with Martin Brundle's son, Alex Brundle, in the F2 and the junior categories, and they're brilliant together. In fact, I hope they are the next replacement for Crofty and Brundle. We get Jake's and Brundle, just Brundle part two, I guess. Absolutely brilliant. However, it's time to kind of get into the main part of this show, which is the race. So, I'm going to do this in two parts. As I said earlier, I've got some notes I took while watching the race. I've got the race results. And then I've got a few... I have a few independent comments on each of the teams that I'd like to add in case I miss anything. When the lights went out, Perez had an absolutely brilliant start. He got away fantastically and secured first place. Fernando slotted into second. So everyone got off the line relatively well, especially in the top 10. There was a little bit of lockup going wide, dodging around at the back. I definitely saw one of the Alpha Tauris have to go off to the side of the road, but everybody got around the first corner with completely safe. It was fantastic to see. K-Mag was instantly under attack all race. He lost a few positions off the start, but fought every single one of them. And I'll come back to K-Mag because him and Charles had a very, very competitive race. Max, you know, starting in ninth, put the hard tyre on. The majority of the cars around him were either on the medium or the soft. I think it was the medium this race. I don't know if the soft was used a huge amount out of qualifying. It just wasn't doing what they needed it to do. Normally, if you're starting on a slower tyre, you you can't really overtake as well. You do kind of just have to sit there and wait for the pit strategy to work itself out and go on an absolute sprint at the end. However, Max Verstappen was driving a Red Bull. Max and that Red Bull are fused at this point. He knows it so well. He was instantly making up positions. And once the DRS clicked on, it was all over. It was all over for any person in front of him. There was an absolutely mental double overtake that Max Verstappen pulled on George Russell and Charles Leclerc. George and Charles were battling, and George has set up to go for a pass on one side. Max has dropped the DRS and gone up the inside of both of them. Overtaking is kind of the rarest thing in F1. This new generation has made it a lot better and a lot more enjoyable because the amount of overtakes are increasing. I can't remember the last time there was a double overtake in an F1 race, let alone on a very technical circuit like this one. So it was fantastic. Signs received a five-second penalty for speeding in the pit lane. Now, he wasn't speeding a lot in the pit lane. He absolutely lit his brakes up coming over the pit control line and unfortunately carried too much speed into it. Shocking weekend for Ferrari all around. Carlos was having a pretty good one up until that point, but those mistakes cost a lot, especially over the course of the season when you're in a position where some of your rivals, your teammate and the championship leader are having a worse weekend. Those are the times where you need to be absolutely perfect to gather as many points as you can because you know the race after this, they're going to be back ahead of you as they normally are. Very disappointing to see from Carlos. I love the guy. I want him to do incredibly well. Unfortunately, and I've alluded to it to a few times in the past, I don't know if he is doing enough for Ferrari to renew his contract 
I don't like saying that because I think he's fantastic. He looks great in red and he's a brilliant personality for the sport. However, I just don't know if he's doing enough. And if you're listening to this and go, well, that's completely unfair, Jacko. That car's absolutely shithouse. Yes, I agree with that. I know the car's crap. However, driver error mistakes can't be attributed to the car itself. And this was an error by Carlos. And on these weekends, you really cannot be having any of those. K-Mag and Leclerc had a great lap after lap battle for a good portion of this race. It was in roughly the middle of the race. What would happen is Leclerc would overtake him in one of the DRS zones. K-Mag would abide his time and jump him in the next DRS zone. That happened two or three times until Leclerc neglected to attack him in the first DRS zone and waited and finally got the jump on him by closing the door and not allowing K-Mag, that DRS, to get in front. I want to give a massive shout-out to K-Mag this weekend. That Haas did well at this track, and K-Mag drove the absolute pants off it. He was fighting with cars that he had absolutely no right to be. And as a customer of the Ferrari team, being able to interrupt the Ferrari's number one driver, pass him numerous times in a battle, that's what racing's all about. That there, that part of Miami right there, was one of the best bits of racing I've ever seen. It was just exciting, especially because it's K-Mag and Haas, and they're the people's champion. And we all want them to do really well. So, fuck yeah, K-Mag. That was awesome. Sucked in, Charles. Russell looked pretty racy. He made passes. It was a pretty good weekend for him. The only real thing of note was getting involved in that double overtake. Max rode one set of hard tyres to lap 45. He pitted, put on the fresh mediums. At this stage of the race, the majority of the drivers had transitioned to the hards and they were middle-aged to old-age hard tyres. Not many people on the fresh. The race was over the second those mediums came on. In fact, you could even go earlier and say it was over from the second he cut through everyone with DRS earlier. However... On those medium tyres, he returned on the track in third or second place, only had to pass Perez, made it look easy. It was just one of those weekends for Max. The only other person I want to bring up who I thought had a particularly good race was Lewis Hamilton. Now, this is a man who started in 13th position and ended up fighting through pretty well. He ended up getting, ooh, from my memory into the top 10 in the point scoring position, maybe six or seventh, I think off the top of my head, six or seventh. So that's a fantastic drive considering he really, really struggled in qualifying and it was just a bit of a off weekend for Mercedes, even though it's been an off two years. This one in particular, they weren't looking their normal selves at all. It was a real struggle. So Lewis Hamilton had an absolutely fantastic drive. He ended up putting that Mercedes right where he needed to be. Those are all the main things from the race, though. There wasn't too much more to add or go over. I mean, yeah, there was a few other things. There was a few more passes. But for the most part, those were the key events of the race. This is what the grid ended up looking like at the checkered flag. Max Verstappen out in front. 
as we normally expect. Checo in second place, so again, another one-two for the Red Bulls. They have definitely taken Mercedes' mantle as the team to beat. I'm really enjoying it because I'm a Red Bull and a Max fan. However, I know there are people out there who are kind of getting over it. Let him do what he needs to do. When Lewis was absolutely dominating the sport, yes, the championship wasn't interesting. But to watch a human being at the peak of their performance in a human design machine at the peak of its performance is something special. So I know it might not be to everyone's liking. However, holy shit, that team is on another level at the moment. Fernando Alonso secured another third place. While he might not have the car to beat Max Verstappen at the moment, that Aston Martin and Fernando Alonso are right where they need to be to put on a championship attack next year. So I'm not saying that he's it's impossible for him to win it this year. However, they're definitely the second best team and Fernando is definitely the third best driver this year. Russell was in fourth. Sainz was in fifth. Hamilton in sixth. So it was six for Hamilton. That's awesome coming from 13th. Leclerc came in after that with Gasly and Ocon as the top 10. So double points finish for the Alpines, which is really, really good to see. K, oh, sorry, K-Mag was 10th. He was the last one to score a point. Honestly, fantastic for the Haas. It's what we want to see. Sonoda, Stroll, Bottas, Albon, Hulkenberg, Joe, Norris, DeVries, Piastri, and Sargent finished up the grid. That's roughly what we expect to see. Now I kind of want to go through just a little tiny summary for each of the teams and how I thought they did this race. Now I'm going to go in championship order descending. So I'm going to start with the Red Bulls. It's just how I wrote it. And this is the second time I'm recording this. So you'll have to bear with me if I seem a little bit impatient. Red Bull, God mode. Couldn't have done anything more. They were absolutely on fire. It's what we want to see. Aston. Alonso shows that you need a lot of talent to get the best out of a good car. Having a good car doesn't always equal a brilliant drive. However, Aston Martin are absolutely on fire at the moment, considering that they have traditionally, under their other names, been a midfield battler team. They are finally getting the results they have all worked for, and they deserve them. The Mercedes, while it wasn't the best weekend, it was a tale of them building consistently from session to session to session to qualifying to race. They got the results they needed, while they may not be dominating the championship, all of that ability and talent is showing that they are right there. All it takes is them to fix this car, and they're going to be putting the herd on the Red Bulls. They're just about there. Ferrari? It's Ferrari. What the fuck else did you think was going to happen? McLaren? Shithouse. Barely saw them all weekend. Alpine? A lot better. That double point... Yeah, while it wasn't a massive points haul, considering how they've started this year to how they conducted themselves this weekend, a lot better. If they can maintain this level of performance and build on it, set the Miami Grand Prix as the new standard of their race weekend, I think they're going to do a lot better. And it's going to be a bit more competitive in that upper to middle range of the pack. And that's really what we want to see. There's always going to be a dominant team but we want the rest of them to be a lot closer and a lot more fighty. 
So Alpine is right on the cusp of doing that. They just need to stay consistent with it. Haas, very exciting weekend for them. They got a point. They were all over the telly. In fact, I don't know if there was a highlight without one of the Haas drivers in it this weekend. Maybe that's because they were in America and they got a little bit of special treatment. Or it was just a really nerve-wracking weekend and they were always involved in anything that was happening. I don't know how I feel about this weekend for them overall. As I said, it was exciting to them. I think this track suited them pretty well. They're definitely not a competitive team overall yet. I do think they're putting the pieces together nicely. I think it's as good as it's going to get. Alpha Romeo, pretty shit house weekend. Bottas, you know, qualified in the top 10th, finished outside the points. I don't know what's going on with that car. I don't know what's going on with that team. I like both their drivers. I think it's the nicest looking F1 car in quite a long time. The red and black is very sexy. However, kind of a forgetful weekend. And we say that too often about this team. Maybe with the team principal mix-up. Well, it's not a team principal mix-up. They have already had that. I'm confusing them with Alpha Tauri. Get your shit together, Alpha Romeo. I want to see you guys higher up there. I want to really support your team, but you just don't seem to be anywhere at the moment. The other Alpha team, also pretty shithouse this weekend. Yuki Tsunoda got a point. He's turning into a okay-ish driver. I still think he's inconsistent. I don't really see a future for him there. I think a large portion of that is the car. They're having the team principal mix up at the end of the year. Hopefully that can bring in some positive changes. I don't know. They've hired one of the Ferrari guys who always seems to be involved in their poor decision-making. Time will tell on that. And Williams, we barely saw them. It was interesting to see Logan Sargent pretty much sit right at the bottom of the grid and stay there in every session on every lap of the race. At some point, I think he was about 20 seconds behind. Don't know what's going on there at all. Albon did what we expect from Albon. While it wasn't an absolutely brilliant race, he still put in a lot of effort. He was still in the pack. Yeah, he got stuck in certain places, and he didn't always do some of the things you can expect from him, which is to just pull some magic out of that blonde hair that he has and put on an absolutely stunning race. But competent drive from Albon. He is a very solid individual at the moment, and I'm so glad he's still in the sport. And I think... That will just about do it for my solo race review, attempt number two. I hope you've enjoyed it. I know it's not what you normally expect from us, but it has been one of those weeks. Hopefully, you've heard Andy once or twice jump in this. Maybe not. The next race we have is the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix. At It's in Italy. It's in Tuscany, I believe. No, it's not because it's not the Tuscan Grand Prix. It's Emilio-Romagna Grand Prix. It's at Imola. It's a fantastic track. Should be very exciting. We're hitting that Urid stint. It's a custom-designed racetrack, so it means it's one of our favourites. I'm really looking forward to that. It means we can put this weird kind of showy aspect that the Americans always try and force on all their events that never quite lines up. I don't know if anyone watched at the beginning, but the driver announcement... I don't know if they had a rapper there doing like a hype track. It was awkward. I only watched about 45 seconds before I turned it off. I couldn't stomach it. But we'll be back to sort of more normal 
standard European Formula One racing. And Andy and I will join you for a preview next week. Thanks, guys. See you around. Oh, and before I forget, our social media. We're at Formula Bums everywhere. Instagram, Facebook. Not Twitter, though. That's at Bums Formula. As you all know, I was an idiot when I set that one up and wrote it wrong. And we have our website, formulabums.com. We have another show that we do. Except for this week. As I said, it's been one of those weeks. That's Bums on the Bench. That's where we try and talk about a lot of different sports. But we mainly talk about NRL. It turns out we all really like our footy. Please give that one a listen if you're into other sports. NBA playoffs are on. So we're talking about that pretty regularly at the moment too. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Excuse the audio. I am just sitting on my computer headset as I am at work doing my work things. But I wanted to jump in and just make a few comments on what Jack said. For one thing, he said I was going to jump in and out throughout the whole episode. And I've decided not to do that because that's too much work. And I'm trying to do my actual job here, Jack, because you sent it to me so late. Idiot. Anyway, with all that abuse out of the way, let's talk about what Jack said and what Jack more importantly, what Jack said wrong. We'll start with the grid walk. Martin Brundle and his incident. Martin wanted to talk to Roger Federer. That, that's what this whole Jackie Stewart thing was. Jackie being a world champion or an ex-world champion has just been like, no, nah, fuck you, I'm going to go. I'm going to go get Roger. And I'm going to talk to him and bring him over for Brundle. And you can hear Brundle counting down how much time he has left while Jackie's pushing his way through security guards. George comes over and then holds up Roger. So Woody is a fucking idiot. Second, Jack's talking about the energy stores that Charles and that have taken on. What he failed to mention, oh sorry, what he got wrong in that, was that he said it was to activate the DRS. It doesn't activate the fucking rear wing, dickhead. It activates the ERS energy that gives them a bit of a boost as well. It's basically the overtake button. Whenever you hear them say overtake, it was available. If they hit that button, that's because they've stored enough energy in the energy store to fucking overtake. They don't, they don't store energy to open a fucking flap on the rear wing. God, that really that one really annoyed me. Finally, he made a comment about how he's calling Stroll being shit for the rest of the year. Mate, you've been calling that since fucking last year. We've all known Stroll is shit. So... Don't try and act like, oh, I'm calling it now because if he goes downhill, then I've said it. You've said it a million fucking times. I've said it a million fucking times. So don't be a smartass being like, oh, I fucking called it. No, you fucking didn't. Everyone called it. He's, yeah. Rich money on a, on the track. But I digress. What was I talking about? The Miami Grand Prix. America's shill fest. Where everything has to be bigger, including the time it takes for the poor drivers to get to the damn cars on the grid. Only one driver gave a shit about that, and that was Lewis. Everyone else was like, we don't need this. It was a waste of time. Yeah, you're right. Everything's a waste of time in Miami. Track's cool, but they figured it out, so the race was fucking boring. Big time boring. So, how can they improve? Well, maybe Max and Checo should just be forced to start 19th and 20th for the rest of the season. They're still going to fucking win. Car's so quick, but at least it'll make the race more interesting. Jack did his good 
did a good point to point out all the incidents in the race, but I was too bored out of my brain to think, like, make heyday out of it. So, here, here's my estimation of how to fix F1. Make them all race at Monaco and have Fernando qualify on pole, let Fernando win there, and then F1 will be fixed. I don't know. I'm talking out my ass here. I don't get paid enough to speculate on how to fix F1 because they don't pay me. So, what did I think of the Miami GP besides being boring? Well, not a lot because, like I said, it was boring. Not a lot happened. Like, yeah, Carlos braked a bit late and copped a five-second penalty. It still didn't add to the race. Um, Alpines were nowhere, like Jack said. Al- Actually, that's what I wanted to talk about. Jack's like, Alpine's nearly there. Like, they're... They- they're just in that place. No, they're not. They're a fucking joke. Even the t- other teams in the paddock are saying they're a joke. Like, Alpine's just been underperforming all all year. Normally, I would blame Esteban Ocon, but I can't blame Ocon this time because Pierre's also not performing well. Pierre was up there and still fell back. So, I don't know. I just want there to be a race at a racetrack. But that's where we're going next, in Imola. And San Mar- the San Marino region of Italy, Jack, not fucking, not fucking Tuscany. That's the fucking Magello one, wasn't it? I don't know. I digress. I'm I'm talking too long. Basically, to sum up, Jack's an idiot. We're sorry for the audio quality for this this part of the segment, but I'm too lazy to you know set up the mixer. Next week we'll be back with a preview, probably Friday, seven days from now. Maybe, hopefully. Um, and other than that, we will see you next week.